This episode of EM Weekly has been archived. The ideas presented by the former host of EM Weekly may not reflect or represent the values of the Readiness Lab and the Doberman Emergency Management Group. Out of respect for the guests who contributed to this episode, it remains available online. EM Weekly starting right now, bringing emergency managers from around the world together to learn, share, and collaborate. Now, as long as you're in emergency status or you're part of the National Flood Insurance Program, you can always get flood insurance through the National Flood Insurance Program. Hi, and welcome to EM Weekly. This is your host, Todd DeVoe, and this week we are talking to Chris Green, the flood insurance guru. And guess what we're talking about? Yeah, flood insurance. Now, this could sound like a boring subject, right? You know, flood insurance, insurance in general. You pay money out and hope you never have to use it. Well, in this case here, Chris Green actually makes flood insurance fun and informative at the same time. We, as emergency managers, should be supporting everybody getting flood insurance because it just makes sense, right? And this topic has been timely because, well, the rains and the snow, and whenever we have rains and snow, certain areas of the country get flooding. Right, and then we go through the whole FEMA declaration and work through all that stuff, and we get people in the city council chambers really upset because they didn't get the money that they needed to rebuild their homes. So Chris comes in, really explains how the flood insurance works, well worth our time to listen to and to get into discussion about. Now before we get into the interview, have you been to our Facebook or Twitter or LinkedIn page? If not, this is the season to be giving. And all I'm asking for Christmas for is if you can come in, like our page, join the conversation, share a heart, because all these things don't cost a thing, and this big softie over here would really love your love for Christmas. So please come on over to Facebook, join our Facebook group. It it is a closed group, so there's some questions you might have to answer to get in, but please join the Facebook group. Join us over there to have a conversation about what's going on in the world of emergency management. We'd love to have you. And, you know, like I said, give it a heart. doesn't cost a thing. Now on to the interview. Hey, Chris. Welcome to EM Weekly. Thank you for having me. We're talking offline uh, about flood insurance and how important it is for uh, emergency managers to really understand uh, why people should have not just flood insurance, but fire insurance as well, financial stability in their households, uh, and, and how it really helps with com- community resiliency. So, Chris, I know you've been doing some really neat stuff with uh, flood insurance education, specifically for the communities. And I want to talk a little bit about that before we get too deep into anything else. So tell me about your outreach program that you just created because it's super interesting. Well, the beginning of this year, I really got tired of answering flood questions when it was too late. You know, I got tired of people saying I had no idea that that was available. Um, So this year I dedicated the 365 flood education videos in 365 days. And as I started working my way through those videos, um, I discovered the opportunity of really needing a text version as well. So then I committed to 150 flood blogs, 150 days. And through that, I also discovered the opportunity of we really need to be podcasting and reaching a different audience. So then I committed to 100 podcasts in 100 days as well. And so through all that, though, 
you know, we've been able to reach a lot of different people. And what we've been doing is taking these questions we get from realtors, lenders, property owners, business owners, and we write them down every week. And every week, that's where all of our content comes from, is simply answering the questions that our audience is asking us. So that's a pretty big undertaking. I mean, I know as doing podcasts, you know, it's it's definitely a lot of work, good work. I enjoy it. But 100 podcasts in 100 days, you know, uh, 365 videos in 365 days and 150 blog, blog posts in 150 days. I mean, you are really setting yourself up for some uh, some heavy workload there, my friend. Um, what's the experience been for you? Um, it's been an awesome experience for me because, honestly, I've learned way more about flood in the last year just through this experience than I have in the last 15 years. Even though I have, you know, I have my master's in emergency management and we've had that background. I've continued to learn through the last 15 years, just so much new material this year of questions coming to us, us researching those topics and getting a better understanding because it's really helped us further our knowledge, which has helped us further help people across the country. And with those videos, we're actually traveling the entire country shooting those videos. So when the flooding happened in Nebraska and the flooding happened in Oklahoma, we were in those neighborhoods shooting issues. I mean, shooting videos, helping people understand the whole disaster assistance process. You know, should I take out disaster assistance? Is it available? What's an SBA disaster loan? How can it impact my property value? So that's really cool. And and I think that that's a tool that we could be sharing with um, the people in our community specifically when we're looking at um, – you know, trying to get our community to be disaster ready, disaster resilient, and and, and really taking on the idea of uh, financial resiliency as well as just, you know, the typical physical resiliency uh, that we normally preach as emergency managers. Yes. You know, one of the big things is that really the flood insurance awareness, honestly, how much easier it can make an emergency manager's job when it comes to disaster response, disaster recovery. So we talked a little bit offline um, about what are the roles or what information should emergency managers have a- on flood insurance. And can you share um, some of of what you have found over the years of, of what emergency managers should really know about flood insurance and, and how it helps, helps their, their community? Yeah, when it comes to emergency manager's role, I, I think it's really important, first of all, that they have a good understanding of the National Flood Insurance Program, but also probably what a lot don't have that much of an understanding of is actually private flood insurance and its availability in a community. For example, hey, if my if I'm an emergency manager and my community does not participate in the National Flood Insurance Program, what other options are available for my community when it comes to flood insurance? Because if we don't participate, you know, in that program, we're not getting disaster assistance. We're not getting disaster grants or loans. So what's going to happen to our property owners if a flood occurs? And so it's important that not that they just understand the flood insurance and the different options of what possibly covers what, you know, when is it going to pay out? But also, hey, if I can really push this flood insurance education across my community, how can it make us recover from a disaster quicker? And and that's really part of the the idea of being financially uh, responsible, uh, not just for your your home, but and you're talking about you know that with uh, businesses, um, and small businesses, and large businesses across uh, of them being prepared uh, for these uh, large scale flooding events, and and we could talk about fire as well, and, and other 
events that happen to have that you need to have insurance. But realistically, at the end of the day, uh, flood is one of those things that impacts more people across the United States. And as a matter of fact, in Katrina, the majority of those homes that were on fire <laughs> were set because they didn't have flood insurance. So um, now I'm going to you know change the, the tone here just a little bit from what you're doing, which is really exciting. And I want to get a little wonky for emergency managers. So how does the National Flood Insurance Program work right now? Well, you know, it, it's not, I don't want to say that it doesn't work. It's just got so many moving parts that people get frustrated with it. People don't understand it. And for example, a lot of insurance agents give up on it and they're like, it's just not worth offering it to property owners. So because of that, you know, FEMA is, is struggling right now. And if you look over the last five years, they've had a significant drop in the number of policies, yet it's an increase in flood insurance claims. And why is that? Um, and a lot of it has to do with agents are having a hard time communicating with their clients, the whole flood program. I live on top of a hill in a semi-arid location. Uh, I don't have a stream near me. I, I really don't have, I mean, anything that's going to, that I would think would be flooding. Should I have a flood insurance? Well, let me just read you something that I have on the back of my card. Everybody lives in the floodplain. It's just a matter of how much flooding it takes to get to you. <laughs> I like I like that a lot. That is, there's a lot of truth to that statement for sure. So, and 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 also now, flood insurance that we're talking about too isn't just those those uh, rain events that cause flood. There's those other things that the flood insurance covers. Am I correct? Uh, yeah, you know, you have, you know, I actually just shot a video today for a coastal area. and We were talking about the different flood risks. You know, one of the things that we do when we do these videos across the country and we have these flood map updates, we just don't put information out. Hey, the flood map's changing. We talk, we study the flood insurance study report for each community and we address all the flood threats. So, for example, like today we we're talking about flash flooding. We were talking about storm surge, hurricanes. You know, all those different types of things that address different flood risks. You know, it could be that your local community, that you're on a hill, but your local community's water system is overtaken by floodwaters. You now you've got water backing up in your house that actually is an indirect result of flood. So what's going to happen? Right. And and so if you don't have insurance, then you're not, you're not covered by that backup. No. And so many people are also confused. Like a lot of people take out flood insurance who could never actually use it because they think, well, if I have water in my basement, I'll just file a claim on flood insurance. Well, it may not necessarily work that way because remember, you've got to have at least more than two properties that are inundated with water or more than two acres. And I would say that 95% of people we meet and talk to, even insurance agents a lot of times, had no idea that those are the two situations where they pay out. What about like a, a city water main break, you know, that's flooding into businesses and homes? If it meets that requirement where the two properties are inundated with water, then yeah, it could fall under flood insurance. Now, that may not necessarily, you know, because that's one of those kind of gray areas. Right. But we, we see this happening time and time again, you know, even during during rainstorms that the uh, uh, water main breaks go off or, um, you know, after earthquake, a water main break goes and, and uh uh, you know, it floods over uh, homes and businesses and things like this caused by the natural disaster. Is that covered in the flood insurance? 
Well, the key thing with um, flooding is what you have to look for is if it's surface water. Oh, okay. So that's so that would be so you know the popular thing we hear from people is hey, I got water coming up into my house from the ground. Well, that's groundwater. You know, that's the water table being full. Those kind of things aren't going to be covered by flood insurance. It has to be surface water. So there are are there a lot of nuances that we have to use to educate people on on what the flood insurance is, what it covers, and and because one of the you know we talked about this before too, but one of the complaints that we hear um, uh, quite often um, is you know I had flood insurance and it didn't cover anything. Um, how do we? I'm going to say how do we? You know, so so there's a there's an education part of it to where people need to read their policy and what exactly it's covering. Definitely, like I actually just spoke to a client last week in Houston, Texas, who had a hundred fifty thousand dollar policy with FEMA, and she was very frustrated because she was only getting a fifteen thousand dollar payout, and she's like, I don't understand why. And what happened is no one educated her on the eighty percent rule, of FEMA, which states that either your house has to be insured to eighty percent. Or you have to have the policy with NFIP maxed out of the two hundred fifty thousand. If those one of those two conditions does is not met, then the loss settlement will be actual cash value. Well, she had a lot of older things in her house, like antique things. The National Flood Insurance Program doesn't really take into consider antiques. They're just looking at depreciation. So of course you're going to get next to nothing for that stuff. That's the the hard part right there is, is when you have these stories and, and people think they're covered, um, and and they're and they're not. You know, I, I want to go back to to the role of of emergency managers, um, crisis managers, you know, resiliency teams. What do we do, or how can we um, help people, you know, travel through this uh, flood insurance uh, maze? Well, I think the important thing is to uh, help people understand, and this is the one thing, you know, as emergency managers, I think it's important to understand, too, is most people think that if they're not in a mandatory flood zone or people call, hey, I'm not in a flood zone, I mean, everybody's in a flood zone, you might be in a low risk. But the majority of residents think if they're in a lower flood zone, that flood insurance is not available to them until it's too late. When, in fact, that's actually where the best rates are. Right, right. It makes sense. I mean, you're talking about an average premium of probably four hundred dollars a year. All right, that's negligible, right? You know, I mean, that's that's a that's a couple dinners out with the family. I want to take a quick break here, and when we come back from the break, I want to discuss um, some of the new technology uh, that's out there that can help you as emergency managers, uh, you know, figure out the whole flood issue and and, and where floods might be happening. Seconds count during an emergency. That's why at Titan HST, we connect people with the latest technology possible, whether it's mesh networking, augmented reality, or real-time translation, allowing people who need help to find help immediately. Better matters because lives matter. Welcome back from that break. And you know, before we left, we're talking about some of the technology. So, so Chris, what are some of the technologies that are out that an emergency manager should be looking at when it comes to helping out with, uh, with floods? Well, there's a lot of different you know, technologies that are starting to come out to help um, emergency managers with elevations. Um, I think there's one called True Flood Risk that can actually give you the elevation of the first floor, and it's pretty accurate. 
So you can you know compare it to these lowest adjacent grades. But I think the also the other thing important thing from our law of mercy managers to understand too is that a lot of these flood maps are inaccurate. You know, a lot of people are in higher risk zones that maybe should be in moderate zones or low risk zones. And a lot of people are, are afraid to assist people with that because they're like, well, if we change this flood zone and it's not going to be required, you're not going to carry flood insurance, which they're probably right in that. But using some of those different technologies also, like a lot of private flood insurance companies are getting very advanced with things like Google Earth, where they can really look at the true flood risk of a property. You know, when water starts coming in, I think you would mention one like one concern. Yeah, one concern is uh, uh, Craig Fugate. Uh, he's uh, working with with them. That's a very interesting company for sure. Uh, but those are some important things that, you know, with National Flood Insurance Program 2.0 coming out, they just extended it to 2021. But those are some things that the NFIP 2.0 is supposed to address. Is look, you may not need an elevation certificate to determine a true risk, because with some of the different technologies that FEMA is supposed to be adopting, you know, we're going to help you do that. What education programs are out there uh, for um, for people trying to learn more about uh, you know flood insurance and or insuring their homes for a disaster? If you you could check out our YouTube channel or if Facebook page, the Flood Insurance Guru, our podcast, the Flood Guru. Um, none of our stuff is salesy at all. It is strictly educational. Uh, we try to walk people through. Hey, here's when you need an elevation certificate. Here's when you don't. You know, here's when an elevation certificate might benefit you. You know, here's when it might make sense to put put flood vents on your home. And here's a benefit of flood vents outside your flood insurance premiums. Now, you were talking earlier about the fact that some uh, some people feel that the um, uh, that they can't get flood insurance uh, for various different reasons, and that the uh, the insurance salespeople um, may be giving bad information. Where could you find out um, where you could get flood insurance from, whether it's going to be through uh, the federal government or through a private insurance company? Well, really, any insurance agent should be able to offer you flood insurance. Um, you know, let's talk about a few situations where people say that flood insurance is not available. Flood insurance is available really anywhere where a community participates in the National Flood Insurance Program. And you'll be able to get more information on that actually on our website. We've got a video being uploaded this week with a link that you, that you can click on and know exactly if your community participates, when they started participating, and if your program is in what's called an emergency uh, status or not. Now, as long as you're in emergency status or you're part of the National Flood Insurance Program, you can always get flood insurance through the National Flood Insurance Program. Uh, some private companies do it if your community doesn't participate. Now, the only situation where an insurance agent may not be able to help you is on what's called repetitive loss and severity loss properties. You know, these are usually properties they have had three or more flood claims in the last 10 years of at least $1,000 or more. And these are policies that have to go through what's called FEMA direct facility because they require certain mitigation efforts to be done. Now, as, as local government, should we be looking at those, um, those properties and, and maybe, you know, do a buyback program with them or, 
intimate domain or is is there a way that we can you know reduce the exposure because at some point we're all paying for it taxpayers are paying for that property anyway um can should we and, and i say should we because it's a political question i suppose should we be investigating those uh type of programs um and i know they're expensive i get that part of it um but should we even be thinking about those programs uh, as emergency managers uh, absolutely but if you think about the buyback program um, let's just say the buyback program is you buy one house back at $150,000. You know, how does that compare to four or five claims being paid out on that house? Let's just say an average claim of $50,000 over a 20 year period. You've already paid more than what you would have in the buyback program. And that's the problem right now. There's not really a good system out there. They just keep rebuilding, keep rebuilding. And then when you add in these subsidized rates, the appropriate premium with the national flood insurance program on pre-firm properties and post-firm can't be collected because people simply can't afford them. And because of that, the national flood insurance program can't properly fund itself right now. Should we as emergency managers get into the um, land use um, business for lack of a better term? Should we be working with our public um, planning partners and, and looking at land use and seeing, saying, you know, like the mangroves, for instance, which are natural barriers. Should we be saying, Hey, we should not be building there or on the barrier reefs, if you will, the barrier islands that we have, you know, um, in the uh, East coast, you know, should we be looking at those things as emergency managers and saying almost like the fire department does, right? I mean, we have fire department checkoffs, sign offs on, on projects. Should we have an emergency management sign off on projects like those? Uh, absolutely. And actually, in a lot of them, you have to. They're called um, coastal barrier relief areas. Uh, these are areas that, let's just say, if you had a house that's been substantially improved after 1982 or built after 1982, the National Flood Insurance Program doesn't even offer flood insurance on there because you can't even get a government-backed mortgage on those type of properties. And so they have done a good job of starting to eliminate that. But another area is you say land use. Uh, we're working on a video series right now and actually the importance that golf courses play in flood prevention. What? Golf courses play a, a job in flood if prevention? If you look at a lot of golf courses, a lot of golf courses are built in high-risk floodplains for a reason. Is it because the land is uh, not suitable for building or is there other reasons behind it's, that? Yeah, it's part of it. Part of it's wetland. You know, Maybe it's so flat. But by keeping that course there, you're stopping people from building there. So at least that flood course can serve as a wetland, which is almost like a barrier between property owners and floodwaters. You know, that's that's kind of interesting because behind my house, they were talking about building uh, a golf course. And, and my house has um, it's a hillside behind me, which obviously can, can burn. And uh, I was talking to my neighbor who's a, who's a firefighter, and he said, yeah, he'd love to have the golf course back there because that becomes one huge fire break for us. So I guess it makes sense uh, as, a, as a flood break as, as, as well. It's just like on marshland. If you look at coastal areas with the marshland um, and you look out inside the coast and you've got the marshland, you've got the property owners, the marshland is, is serving as a barrier. What a lot of people don't realize is that for every acre of marshland or wetland, it actually soaks up three acres of water, which is about 100 million gallons of water. Right, and that's that's the same thing with the mangroves, right, that we have along the Florida coast and South Carolina, Georgia, and in those areas that, that actually uh, – uh, that they're, they're a natural hurricane barrier because they, they break the wind and they um, – uh, 
and, and they take up the water, right? Yeah, and they serve a, a big thing. I don't know if you've ever heard of moon tides. Yeah. All right, moon tides happen about twice a year on the East Coast. And, you know, that water comes inland basically overnight, one night. And those marshes do serve as a, a very beneficial flood barrier when that does happen because the roads are overtaken by water. They have to close uh, the roads down to the islands when it happens. And it happens a lot to do with the gravity of the moon and the tides. And it happens about twice a year. Uh, areas that get hit really hard with it are like Georgetown, South Carolina, uh, Tybee Islands, uh, Georgia, areas and uh, Jekyll, areas like that. So, okay, so I, I got to get into some uh, some additional questions here for uh, the emergency management guys out there. Um, as emergency managers, not not going back to the public, where can we find out uh, and, and where can we educate ourselves on what we should be looking at as far as uh, flood insurance and, and those issues specifically um, with the uh, National Flood Insurance Program? Well, you can do what I do almost about every day, and uh, that's read through the FEMA manual. As emergency managers, put yourself in the role of an insurance agent. Um, and parts of the manual, uh, the FEMA manual will show you how to write a policy, you know, what coverages and things like that. Simply go through those sections, and it will show you what's available and what's not available. You know, take a look at the bulletins when the bulletins come out in April and October of every year and familiarize yourself with those. Familiarize yourself with the rate increases that may be coming with FEMA when they make those announcements so you can help prepare your community. Hey, this is what's happening for our community. Or as an emergency manager, manager, you know, you should probably be pretty familiar with what's called the community rating system. Make sure your community is aware, hey, this is the discount we're receiving through the community rating system because these are the additional mitigation efforts that we took as a community. Uh, and I would say most people don't even know what the community rating system is probably outside of emergency managers. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, yeah, those are very important because, like, I mean, that helps out with, uh, and the same thing on the fire side, too, is those community safety ratings, uh, they, they actually help out with um, your uh, your fire insurance for your community, your flood insurance for your community, um, and, and, and in some parts, uh, even, like, home and car insurance for, for actually, to be honest with you, but you know, they, they take a look at what, and it's basically a collective uh, risk pool that they're, that they're looking at. And that's how you get those ratings. And uh, I think it's really important to, uh, for us to be uh, a part of that conversation and, and, and become a resource. And that's the thing too, is, and I'm going to get on my soapbox for a second here, become a resource for your community. And we talk about this a, a lot specifically of, of what we could do as emergency managers to, to jump outside of, of that license sirens, right? To, to when people go, I don't know what an emergency manager does. This is one of those things where you could become that expert in resource for your community to where they have questions. They're going to come to your office and ask those questions. And uh, I think that you can do a great service to your community uh, with that. Okay, Chris, a question, big question. If you could talk to all the emergency managers at all one time, what would you say to them? Educate your community. Um, the problem with the emergency manager is they're pulled in a hundred different directions on a hundred different things. But just make sure your community is aware. And the big thing I'll tell you, about, tell you about on this is the biggest struggle here is when flood maps come into place. Because of the way FEMA changed their policies a few years back, if someone doesn't have a mortgage – Honestly, the emergency manager of the area might be the only way a property owner knows their flood map's changing because they'll do the local meetings, they'll put in a local newspaper, 
but that's the only way. And so if you're a community official, if you're an emergency manager, make sure your community members are aware of how those flood maps are going to change them for the good and the bad. So Chris, how can people, and I know you gave your website out a minute ago, but I, I kind of want to get back in, into that question. How can people uh, find you uh, directly? You said you can go to our website, floodinsuranceguru.com. You can check out our Facebook page, The Flood Insurance Guru, our YouTube channel, The Flood Insurance Guru, and you can also find me on LinkedIn. And we're going to make sure that all those those links are uh, are down in the show notes. You know, So if your pencil's not sharp or if you're driving, uh, please go to the show notes and you can click on those links and and, f- and find Chris's uh, information. And, and, and by the way, the, the videos are very, uh, they're very entertaining. They're, they're not boring, um, and I think it's something that you could link to uh, for your community to see because I think they're well worth the watch. I appreciate that. So I, I, I do have to ask the question, where did you get the turkey hat? You know, I got to ask my wife where she got that one at. We, she ordered one several years ago, and we wore it at Thanksgiving dinner, and she made us uh, go around the table, say what we were thankful for while we're in the hat. <laughs> and so – so, and my daughter was only a couple months old at the time, and she was so tiny. We actually put her in the turkey hat and took a picture. So, so you turned a Thanksgiving turkey hat into an, a flood insurance uh, promo video. Yes, that's that is that is outside the box. Thing. And I always joke with people, you know, the next great hat that I'm looking for. I'm always on the hunt for the next great hat. <laughs> okay. Or I don't know if we talked this off, but I actually drank spoiled milk in one of my videos and shot it out. Oh, I did not see that one. And that's, yeah, that's I disgusting. can't remember if something about uh, that we were talking about. Oh, how I think it was canceling your flood insurance is about as good of an idea as uh, drinking spoiled milk. All right, my friend. Okay, so everybody out there, if you guys have any like really unique ways to uh, to market uh, flood insurance, I think you should reach out to Chris and challenge him to do a video on it. And uh, or you say, if you got questions, please, that's the only way our content keeps going. Or I was gonna say, or 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 if you have a cool hat that you want to send Chris to get into a video, I suppose that would be kind of a a a neat way to part to uh, participate in his uh, his filming as well, huh? And maybe we'll hit a thousand flood videos in a thousand days. That you know what? That's you heard it here, folks. You know, a thousand flood videos in a thousand days. Well, anyway, Chris, we're gonna let you go. I I do appreciate your time. I think this is really important work that you're doing out there. I do appreciate uh, what you're doing. I keep up the good work, and uh, I can't wait to see the next uh, video. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of EM Weekly. And please subscribe to us on your favorite podcast player. And also, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. If you're looking for more information and more emergency management type podcasts, check out sitchradio.com because there's a full laundry list over there. See you next week.